0: Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Heirs Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Heirs Podcast. The podcast that shows you
1: what's behind the collar.
0: This is Bull Hagen. This is Berg.
1: And this is Vicker.
0: Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, Vicker. Uh, people are loving this uh, Sleepy Vicar episode for some reason. That's it's what I've heard. One. Yeah. Yeah. You're a star. <laughs> um, uh, Peter, uh, you know how we like to do show production uh, on the episode? We get, so f- <laughs> we get so few emails. What do you think about us? Like, if you email, we'll put it at the front of the show. And then if there's questions, we'll answer the questions later in the show.
2: Well, that's just your tonight. What? <laughs>
0: I think a lot of... Look who you're talking to, bro.
2: A lot of the reason people like to listen is they get a little bit of uh, banter at the beginning, followed by the text. And I know that because we got an email from uh, a past vicar that said, Hey, I'm writing my sermon. Can you help me find the right episode? (laughs) (laughs) So I,
3: I, I am drinking tonight because I'm awesome. And I'm, you know, the end. Uh, that's
0: better than drinking because you're not awesome, right? Yeah, <laughs> that I mean, be sad. that be it, sad. It's it's
3: kind of like Chesterton, right? You don't you don't sad drink. You happy drink, right? That's right. So, um, I'm drinking a Scottish, uh, a Scottish whiskey, a Scotch here. I don't I can't pronounce it, Kilchoman. It's it's spelled K-I-L-C-H-O-M-A-N.
0: Vicar, you're and, Scottish. What what does that say?
1: Uh, Irish, not Scottish.
0: Ah, same. Same (laughs) island, right? Almost same island. Same area.
1: Hold it up so I can see it. Yeah, it's Kilcomon. That's how I've always said it. So, Kilcomon. Sounds Jamaican. It's it's an Isla single malt scotch
3: whiskey. And uh, it's going to be amazing. So, cheers. And I'm having a, a
0: nice warm Diet Coke.
3: Even warm? I mean, what kind of purgatory are you in?
0: I I am in the, my office. Is uh, my study is being recarpeted, so I had to unplug the clerical air's fridge.
2: Oh no! So. My my two options today. I was almost I almost grabbed it, but I realized I would never finish it. Is a a lukewarm can of Bushlight. Uh.
3: <laughs> Man, is
2: that from house are, Uh, no. Well, what happened <laughs> but, is every time when we get to college football time, you know, right, and like, uh, you just you just get thirsty for a terrible beer.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that.
2: So, but the only way you can buy bush light is in a 24 pack. So mm. I wanted like three of them and <laughs> I still wow. have more. Uh, so it came over and I didn't get it in the fridge. So it's like, it's there, but it's not in the fridge yet. Uh, so instead I'm going to have my, some of my Jefferson's ocean aged
1: at sea. Nice. Oh, yes.
0: Yes, so I guess uh, you're you're doing the happy drinking, and I'm doing the sad drinking. Vicar, what do yes. you have? Yes,
1: mine is the melancholy drinking because it's uh, almost room temperature blue moon. Oh, oofta, man! Well, so what we're saying is is that
3: the uh, the studio right now is a purgatory. And speaking of purgatory, what are we preaching on?
0: A purgatory, right? No, we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> I mean, you can if you want. <laughs> How'd you know, Bert? <laughs> uh,
3: actually, no. I, I I think that's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be preaching on for, Refor- for Reformation Day observed, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, uh, Vicar, uh, why don't you read uh, the epistle? Or is it the... They just call it the first reading. The first reading, yeah.
1: Yeah. The first reading, excuse that's me. That's right, because they substitute the, the Old Testament for this. Yes, So it's uh, revelation 14 verses six through seven. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water.
0: So, Vicar, why do you think this was chosen for Reformation? By the way, uh, in preparation for this episode, I tried to read some of the sermons uh, on the Reformation from the church fathers. They're very hard to find, um, but I'll keep looking. (laughs) (laughs) So, Vicar, uh, why do you think this was chosen for Reformation?
1: Uh, Probably because here it is once again reminding us that the object of our faith is in God and that... uh, our salvation comes from Him alone and not from uh, man or from anything mm-hmm.
0: else. And, and you have an emphasis here on the Word, the Gospel. Fear God? Yeah, it wasn't. Read it again.
1: The whole thing? Read, yeah, read, yes, okay. it's short. Do it again. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal Gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. I see what you're doing. Okay. Yeah,
0: an eternal Gospel, right? hmm that he gave, so it's it's a salvation that uh God decides how it works, it's his gospel it's not up for us to make, but it's centered on his word mm-hmm. and uh excuse me uh bur- talk I got a burp
3: okay <clears throat> all right, I think there's a number of things you could preach on in this text um uh another angel uh in Bougenhagen's uh, funeral sermon for Luther. He actually compares Luther to this other angel that Luther is actually a figure of the end times who brings this eternal gospel, uh, to light and to prominence. Once again, um, I think you can talk about how this angel is flying in the midst of heaven at the Zenith of heaven, uh, in a place where everyone can see it, that this is a public message. This isn't some sort of occult muttering that happens, uh, in corners, or with super secret decoder rings, but this happens uh, for all people. Mm. And so this message is not hidden, but it's preached to the entire world, every nation, tribe, tongue, people. So, I mean, that's, you know, your first part of your sermon could be the everlasting gospel. The second part could be every nation, right? Mm hmm. So that's one sermon theme you could come up with. Another interesting one is, is what does he say? What's the content of this everlasting gospel, Uh, which predates the world, the foundations of the world, right? So uh, he says here, fear God and give glory to him. Why? For the hour of his judgment has come. So you could actually preach a a sermon on how the gospel is God's hour of judgment. Mm -hmm. What happened there?
0: Oh, I was burping again. (laughs) i was listening. (laughs) Uh,
3: I I think that this would actually be a great sermon to preach on, is how the gospel is God's hour of judgment. That usually when we think of judgment, we think of bad things. But if you look at the first gospel promise, Genesis 3.15, uh, that is judgment. I will put Mm -hmm. enmity, hostility uh, between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. He shall crush your head, you shall bruise his heel. Um, You see the same thing in the promise to Abraham that uh, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. That what's what is gospel to us is actually judgment for the devil. Mm -hmm. It's judgment for the world. It's judgment for unbelief. Uh, Jesus says the same thing before he goes to the cross uh, in John chapter 12. You know, now is the hour of judgment. Now is the world judged. Now is the. The, the, the ruler of this world cast out, right? That yeah, all... and you could also, you, you oh, also uh,
0: talk about, uh, one thing that's always helpful when preaching Revelation is to, to also talk about the context in which it was given. You know, you have struggling churches, you have John uh, in exile, uh, and uh, you have everything pointing uh, to the defeat of the word of God. And it could be very discouraging for John to think about, well, he's probably the last living one at this point. Would you say, Berg? Actually, I think
3: he wrote uh, Revelation very early. I think he actually wrote it before oh. he wrote his gospel because there are so many Hebraisms in John. Oh. And I actually think his Greek gets better, honestly. <laughs> oh, um, So I, I think Revelation is actually written comparatively early to some of like his
2: letters or uh the gospel. But is that a personal thing or is there stuff out there about that?
3: Uh there are there are a few sources where I've gotten this from, uh John Schaller in his uh writing the book of books. He wrote that back in the early 1900s. Um, there are some other views like this as well. Um so, you know. Uh and I do. I think there are a lot of hebraisms in Revelation.
2: Is um, that a pretty common belief then or is that just kind of a Um
3: you know, there are some, like, if you read some of the new guys, they're not as, uh, like, they don't actually believe John wrote it. Right. Um, so, this is where it may or may not be that common. Uh, somebody wants to argue with me.
1: Victor, where can they get a hold of us? They can email us at feedback at org. They can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast Podcast. And they can also X us. uh, X us,
0: bro. X us, bro. It's Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) That too. Um,
1: At clerical errors, uh, clerical errors P. P for podcast, bro. So um, there's that.
3: And then I think the last thing that I kind of want to talk about here is, you know, it's becoming more and more of an issue for us today is this last part. Worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and springs of water. Here the first article of the creed and the second article are intimately joined that the redeemer is also the creator. And mm-hmm. I think that is our problem. Our contemporary problem today is that no one is going to argue with us that Jesus died on the cross to do something right Their Their view of salvation might be, you know, free us from patriarchy or blah, 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 blah. Right. right. It could, you know, but they could use the same sort of words. The issue we have today is that I think we've kind of decoupled the God who is creator with the God who is redeemer. And this is exactly what Christ came to do. He came to redeem his creation.
0: Now Vib- Vicar's burping. Sorry. <laughs> ha!
3: It's all that warm beer.
0: You know, that, that that that's one thing. What I am explaining the faith as someone who— maybe hearing it in a clear and concise way for the first time, I do start with creation in a sense of the fact that we're here shows that we have a creator. Going back to what are the chances that life in a mud puddle can get started? It's impossible. You know, the complexity of life, it, it had to have an origin of a, of a God who created us and created us as he did in the Bible. And as soon as you understand that you have a creator, that you realize that you are created for reason and a purpose and that you have a God who, who answers, who we answer to. And immediately there's an understanding of sin and a problem, well, what do we do with sin? And how is he going to make himself known to us what those things are? And uh, that leads directly to uh, the second article.
3: Right, that God doesn't just, you know, kind of— because you hear this in the TV show God the Devil and Bob, and I think it's the, like the second season. It's kind of funny. It uh, has um, French Stewart in it and okay. some others. He's Bob. So, okay. and <laughs> basically, God is going to destroy the world again, scrap it, unless Bob, like, I don't, you know, it basically is like Noah and <laughs> can basically keep God uh, that's from doing that. That's Martha Stewart's
0: son, isn't it? I'm not sure. That's I think good... he's Martha Stewart's son. Believe is it he or really?
3: Not. Well, yep. I'd be weird, too, if she was my mother. <laughs> but you know, this is the thing is in that idea, you know, God starts the big bang and then he just lets it all go, right? So mm-hmm. you've got on the one view that I think a lot of people has is that the that you know that a lot of people have is that the world is just simply this neutral place that we can just use things or or whatever. Then you have the other view, like from Algernon Blackwood and Arthur Mackin. Uh, great horror writers because of course uh, this is the 29th day of Halloween Mm -hmm. ha 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 ha, right so uh, where nature is actually something that is very uh, supernatural in the sense that it is antagonistic and contrary to human beings like in The Willows, The Wendigo or uh, my favorite novel by Arthur Mack and the Greek God Pan
0: Um, oh that's a good one yeah
3: yeah you should read that one it's pretty good. That's next on my list, Berg. Nice. I'm glad to hear that. But the the scriptures teach that God created this world. So everything is good. Everything it was created good. Uh our use of it makes it bad. And right. we are bad because of sin. It's a corruption. It's not uh we are not like we talked about last time subhuman or less than human, but we are corrupted. There's a difference there. Right. Uh, And the God who created us is the God who redeems us because he loves his creation. And I think this is very helpful for people who feel uh, because of the corruption in our nature. uh, Well, I'm actually a girl trapped in a man's body. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because. And they'll say God made me that way.
3: Yeah. Either God made me that way or God made a mistake or nature made me that way. And the second article frees me up to be some sort of man woman mermaid fishical. So
0: <laughs> You know, you I, just gave Peter some awesome sound bites that he could completely take out of context.
2: My my AI a berg is so good that I don't need that anymore. Okay, okay. <laughs> Oofed <dumb>. up.
0: But <laughs> you also you also see that in uh um in Jesus' own own ministry right what is the one what is would people take note of what does he do he controls creation stuff he heals he feeds he stops the storms yeah uh, and we don't even think about this kind of stuff
3: like we don't fear wild animals coming down from the mountains and eating us no although i kind of do now because like (laughs) that's where i live (laughs) i mean this is originally why we had kings why did we have kings to kill animals to keep them from eating our flocks, from keep them from eating our children, right? Nature is red in tooth and claw, and it is our adversary because of sin. That nature itself opposes us because God opposes us unless we are redeemed by Christ. And I think that's something we actually have to come to grips with. And that's why uh, Dr. Kuntz has made this argument and others have made this argument, and I agree. Today, we have to address first article problems, because those are the problems we're dealing with.
0: Right. Because, because you uh, can
3: twist the second article out of, if you don't get the first article right, you're not going to get the second article right. You'll become some sort of Gnostic.
0: And, and I guess all the articles kind of work that way too.
3: Right. You lose one, you kind of lose them all. So that's where, you know.
0: Right. Nope. that's where we your are...
3: articles. You have to know your articles. If you don't, you'll get eaten in your sleep.
0: Yes. Yes, the the dreaded, uh, um, the the dreaded Kraken Bruce.
2: I that was also what was in my brain. I was gonna say Kraken Bruce. You're gonna say Kraken Bruce too. Yeah. All right. Do you
1: guys want to move on to the top twelve?
0: Yes. Let All us right. move to the top twelve.
1: Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense.
0: It's time for Bullhagen's top twelve. It's getting better. <laughs> Getting better
1: i've been practicing can you tell
0: yeah good job sleepy vicar <laughs> <laughs> by the way i just want to say this he really isn't a sleepy guy
1: all right so berg
2: your top 12 list
3: all right this is uh the top 12 list for luther's third invokavit sermon on images so i have a little bit of an introduction here before we get going so some are observing reformation today others will observe it on october 31st why do we celebrate reformation day well, there are reasons not to celebrate October 31st as Reformation Day. First, Reformation Day isn't a Marvel movie. Luther isn't some Übermensch, a German equivalent to Captain America, an uh, uh, Oberstdeutsch as we would say. Uh, this is a professor posting a class assignment on a bulletin board. There's nothing, there's nothing spiritually sexy about that. Second, Luther speaks more about repentance in the 95 Theses than he does about forgiveness. The first thesis is, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. You see, the point of the 95 Theses was not that the Gospel and Heaven were for sale, but that escape from judgment and the law were. Third, Luther still had a long way to go. In these theses, Luther still believes in purgatory. Luther also wanted to be a loyal son of the Church, and he wrote these theses ironically in defense of the Pope, rather than as a critique. As Luther wrote in Thesis 91, if therefore indulgences were preached according to the spirit and intention of the Pope, all these doubts would be readily resolved. Indeed, they would not exist. Luther believed that the Church was bedeviled not by the Pope, but by unscrupulous and unchristian indulgence preachers. So if you celebrate Reformation Day like a Super Bowl party and a mighty fortress is our God is your fight song, then you're doing it wrong. Dr. Kuhn has talked about the error of this thinking uh, when he says that we have stepped out of history. That is, if we act as if what happened to the Papists, the Methodists, the UCC, or the ELCA cannot happen to us. It can happen to us. We're not perfect, nor have we attained the goal of eternal life. Daily reformations go on in the Church. It is always a fight between the Word of God and the lies of the devil. There is always a struggle of the Kingdom of God against the benighted tyranny of Satan. So to get a better idea of what I'm saying, read Isaiah's critique in chapter 1 of his book. Called as a prophet when Uzziah died, Judah had had their own version of the 1950s. The kingdom was prosperous, their armies were powerful. Uzziah was was long-lived, reigning 52 years. He did what was right in the Lord's eyes until he tried to live out everyone a minister by attempting to burn incense in the temple. His son Jotham was also godly, but as 2 Chronicles 27.2 says, but still the people acted corruptly. That tells us that external reformations are not enough. Pious princes are not enough. Isaiah and Luther remind us that external reformations must go hand in glove with internal reformations. You think Luther's reformation was so grand and beautiful? Well, Luther felt the same way a lot of pastors do, and here is a behind-the-collar moment, 1500 style. In his mind, daily preaching was accomplishing nothing. He said to his congregation, I am disgusted with you. The longer I preach to you, the worse the swilling, boozing, and other sin gets. He said in 1524 that the more I preach, the more the ungodliness. And yet, despite all that, Luther did not become discouraged. He didn't take the black pill, as the kids are saying these days. No, preaching is what does it. Preaching changes hearts. Preaching reforms the church. So, this is all to tell us that we've barely left Babylon and we're slowly wending our way to our heavenly home. The word preached and read is the bright lantern that shows us the way. Preaching is that light. Preaching reforms the church. And that gets us into our top 12 list
2: of Luther on images. So, so that was very eloquent and <laughs> informational.
0: I do it Qu- again. Croy put some real talk behind that.
2: Uh maybe. He has actually might put some special music behind that. If you heard some uh special music, where'd that special music come from, Berg? That came from
3: cantor Michael Borg, who is in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and he was uh playing Babylon is Fallen. Great little uh song <laughs> that I love. Uh it's really wonderful. He also makes Arcola whiskey, which you should go online and buy. From Spirits and Spice, and Peter, our producer, is going to be receiving a few samples coming up, so we will get a real review <laughs> oh, wow. then uh-huh. from an unbiased source. So, That's
2: right. So, Berg, to to summarize, kind of what we hit, what we're basically saying here is that don't be cocky because you're Luther, because you're Lutheran. Yeah, Luther started something, but he he wasn't the end.
3: Yeah, we by don't any means simply. Rest on what Luther did. Uh, we always go back to the scriptures. That's what Luther points us to, and that's what we're all about. Um, if you think you've made it, then you're in heaven. And uh, if you're in heaven, you can't sin. And guess what? Just feel yourself, okay? Take your hand, put it to your all heart. All right,
0: getting to the 20, 20, right? his 20 questions here, right? right? See if Are your you, heart uh, beats within you, right? Yeah. You're not yeah? there yet.
3: <laughs> Has Jesus come back? You're not there yet. Are you? I, I, w-
0: I would say it also goes with uh, uh, the title Missouri Synod Lutheran, because uh, that to 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 many that is the epitome of, of of righteousness, and everyone else needs to be reformed.
3: And yet we don't clean our own house. And isn't right. that what Peter says? Right. right, that judgment first begins at the house of God. Yes, I mean.
0: We we uh we uh we go to before God's altar and we pray. Thank you for not making me like that ELCA church down the road. <laughs> right in that
2: intro, Berg, you you dropped some knowledge bombs for me at least stuff that I didn't either didn't comprehend or didn't internalize. Um, and so, some stuff I didn't know. Right, so like I guess I didn't internalize. Like you're kind of the very first thing you said, which was the Reformation Day. Wasn't that big of a deal, really? It's like the equivalent of he he printed out a bulletin and handed it out to people.
3: Yeah, it'd be like your professor posting class assignments on uh, some sort of
2: open forum, you know, open server or something. Now it became big. It became a big deal, but it was mundane to begin yeah, with.
3: Yeah, people took his his theses and they translated them into German and started disseminating them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was awesome, and, mean, and it's
0: not like like there, there's this big empty door, and oh, someone nailed something to it, right? <laughs> it was like a,
1: it was like a community message board. They had to change those doors out every so often, because, right? It was <laughs>
0: Facebook. It was like a Facebook post, essentially.
3: So you know, this wasn't that you know it, it you know, and by God's grace, it became something much bigger than what it was. And the big thing is, is it wasn't really about forgiveness. It was about, look, um, you are relaxing God's law and you're giving people false comfort. I mean, the way that he talks in these theses, he talks about uh, hatred of self, which is a way of talking that you don't find in a lot of Lutheran churches. Like, we should actually consider all of our righteousness as filthy rags. We should consider all of... You know, these things that Paul talks about in Philippians as uh, as loss, as injurious to salvation, as um, refuse, as manure, mm-hmm. as crap, to use but, a, a more, you know. But you see, that's the thing. It's very easy when you preach to point outside and say, oh, the world's so bad and the world's this and the world's right. that. Where he got to the heart of the issue, it's like, no, we need to start with
0: us. Because that's that's where it always leads uh whenever there's uh not taking the word of god to heart for even just a little bit (laughs) it grows that's what that's what leads to to false teaching on every level right And and it starts with many many times the individual and it grows like yeast
3: Well, and it's kind of like, you know, okay, so we rest on our laurels that we won the battle for the Bible in the 70s. So what? Those men are pretty much dead, right? There's a few of them left, but they're pretty much dead. Mm -hmm. Who cares? We need to be fighting the battles now. We need to be conforming our lives and our thoughts and our hearts to the word of God now.
0: The difference is, though, is um, what, what frightens me at times is the fact that uh, at that point, it was a laity who knew the Bible who were able to rise up. Yeah. And
3: and so that, have we taught them the way that we ought to teach them?
0: Yeah, is it? I mean, is that? that
3: I mean, and that's a question that we can probably get in later mm-hmm. in but, what that looks like, but Right. But so, I mean, this, So, yeah, I mean, we can start with number 12. Number 12. We have heard the things which are musts, which are necessary and must be done. Things which must be so and not otherwise. The private masses must be abolished. For all works and things which are either commanded or forbidden by God and thus have been instituted by the Supreme Majesty are musts. Now following the things which are not necessary but are left to our free choice by God and which we may keep or not, such as whether a person should marry or not, or whether monks and nuns should leave their cloisters. These things are matters of choice and must not be forbidden by anyone. And if they are forbidding, forbidden, the forbidding is wrong, since it is contrary to God's ordinance. In the things that are free, such as being married or remaining single, single you should take this attitude. If you can keep to it without burdensomeness, then keep it but it must not be made a general law. Everyone must rather be free. So, of course, here, number 12 is a review and really kind of a nice one of audiophra. Mm-hmm. right? There are the musts, the things that God commands and the things that God forbids. We can't do those things. In the things that are adiaphra that is, things that are neither commanded by God nor forbidden, we are free. And if mm-hmm. we can keep them without burden, without being burdened by them, um, then we shouldn't do it. But if they're a burden to us, then we should do it. And, and of course, and, what he brings up here is marriage. And it's really interesting because the way a lot of people talk about marriage is that it's almost a must.
0: Yeah, that's true.
3: Luther doesn't talk about it that way. Luther says, look... If you can be married without it being burdensome to you, like if you're not going to commit sin, if you don't burn with passion, stay single. You can devote yourself to God. That's great. That's one that we don't typically think of as an adiaphron, right?
0: Right. Which is
3: kind of fun, you know?
0: Well, there's and singleness nowadays is, uh, it's different. It means different things outside the church than it does inside the church
3: right which is why we have to teach what see but once again right is it a must no no right and i think the way that people react to the world is you make marriage a must and you make having child you know you make you know marriage and having children a must and that's wrong right mm mm-hmm. yeah i mean really yeah. that that's what this is um if you can remain celibate if you can remain chaste without sin without burning remain chaste thanks be to god then you can serve god so i just thought that was a really interesting one that we don't talk about very often um it's almost like we uh
0: well i'm nervous to to talk about that way in the sense of of to talk about singleness that way in the sense of the fact that uh there's already a, a sense of, of marriage not being needed or necessary in any way or beneficial even in any way. Um, so what seem- do we do? What do we do?
3: Yep. Teach, teach, teach. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Right. I mean, that's, that's what we have to do. And in fact, I would argue that uh, some of the best patriarchs like Noah, okay, go back through the genealogies. See when they get married and start having kids. Right? It's like 100, 130, right? Pretty young, right? <laughs> right. Noah, Noah is 500 years old before he starts having kids. That's 20 years after God has said, I'm going to nuke this place with water. Hmm. Right? So, having kids is optimism. It's optimism in a better world. It is a belief that the world is going to be a better place. Noah knows the old world is ending. And so what does he do? He has babies.
0: Well, you that's know, a, he didn't. That's he a didn't beautiful want, thing. He did not want to be tied down. A400, you don't want to be tied <laughs> down yet, right?
3: <laughs> well, and isn't that, that's exactly, I just listened to a podcast from The Art of Manliness on Generations today. And uh, that's exactly how millennials And Gen Z are Gen Z, especially because they're very pessimistic about how the world is. And when you're pessimistic, you usually don't get married and you don't have kids. Both generations are feeling this. And this is where like as good doctors, we pastors have to be like, okay, what is driving this? Is it a godly desire to serve the church unhindered by by wife and kids because they don't feel that? Okay, you're free to do so. Or is this not getting married and having kids a pessimism? Like, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, so why would I bring anyone into it? Those require different spiritual answers. Mm-hmm. Right? hmm And so um, that's the way it was for Noah, right? Mm-hmm. 20 years into building the Ark, he starts having babies.
0: Oh, he needed help.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and he also, he he knew the world was ending and he had babies, right? And this should be, this should be, uh, what's the I, I, word I'm looking for? This should be heartening to us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this should well, be, like, like, we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid of getting married. We shouldn't be afraid of having children. Like, it is a good and godly thing. We well, also realized with, at with some terror. point
0: he had to re- repopulate the world.
3: <laughs> okay, right. You know, that's the other thing. But at the same time, like, our Lord Jesus compares the ending of our world to the, to the flood, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was the end of their world. So I think in the same way, we shouldn't be afraid to have children because even though this world is bad, uh, maybe the church will go down to eight souls again. I hope not, but, you know, <laughs> all of our congregations are bigger than the pre-flood church. How is that for optimism? There you go. Right? I mean, thanks be to God, right? So I guess my whole point in all this is, like, the reason why, like, Gen Z and the millennials are not having babies, and, like, some of that might be godly, And some of that might not be godly. It might be because they're despairing. And a good pastor is going to know the difference. A good pastor is going to talk to them about it and diagnose what is actually going on. Number 11. But now we must come to the images. And concerning them also it is true that they are unnecessary and we are free to have them or not. Although it would be much better if we did not have them at all. I am not partial to them. A great controversy arose on the subject of images between the Roman emperor and the pope. The emperor held that he had the authority to banish the images, but the pope insisted that they should remain, and both were wrong. Much blood was shed, but the pope emerged as victor, and the emperor lost. What was it all about? They wished to make a must out of that which is free. This God cannot tolerate. So it's interesting here because... What does Luther say? He says he's not partial to images. He'd rather not have them, which is really interesting because a lot of confessional Lutheranism has a lot of images, right? hmm
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so it would really be interesting to do a paper on Luther's view on images as the Reformation goes on because— I don't know if it actually changes or not. I mean, it would be kind of cool to see what, if it does. What was
0: his? What was his position? Is it, did, do you ever explain why?
3: I mean, you know, some people are more intellectual, some people aren't. He says he's not partial to them, um, so I take him at his word here. Uh, he wasn't a he visual have, le- learner. Yeah, he might not. He might have been way more verbal than visual. Right, that could be it. Yeah, um,
0: he was more of a Berg than a Bullhagen.
3: <laughs> he could have also uh, thought to himself, look at all the abuses that are going on. Why would we want these?
0: Right. Because that came with a lot of baggage.
3: Right. So, you know, so I think that's an important point to make here is like Luther himself is like, yeah, I mean, I'm not partial to him. It'd be much better if we did not have them at all. Boy, most, uh, you know, most confessional Lutherans would, like, throw you under the
2: bus for that, right? Right. (laughs) So, I mean, you know. It'd be weird to say, rather not have a cross in the church, right? Yeah,
3: I mean, you know, or an altar or stained glass windows or paintings of the lives of saints or whatever, right? And you
0: contrast what I find interesting is you contrast that with his love of hymnody, which is actually not that different than an image. It's a different form of art that expresses it in a different way. I imagine the hymnody was more about the words, but he also used the music for it as well.
3: Right. All images take imagination. I think Luther and many of the reformers had a lot more in verbal imagination than in physical or pictorial imagination. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the things with us that we are really lacking in is because everything is, I mean, look at a Michael Bay movie, right? Bunch of images, Uh, but it's all, I mean, there's no imagination.
0: Well, what's the, I'm, I'm not sure which movies Michael Bay made.
3: Transformers. Transformers. I mean, there's a lot of shock and awe and everything else. Right. And I think Luther's whole point is, is like, Okay, I've seen people worshiping idols, right? I've seen mm-hmm. that. I've seen the abuse of images. I think we should use the Bible. I think we should have, you know, the Bible teach us, but you know. But in his sermon here, Luther actually references history. Okay. Oh man. You know, what is that? To uh ah, oh, he just preaches so far above me, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bring it down to our level, Luther. Come on.
3: Right, exactly. Luther has reference to the iconoclastic controversy initiated by Emperor Leo III. And, of course, guys, just, if you don't know this, just go and Google it. Like, you have the technology. Like, just use it. Okay? Anyways. Emperor Leo III, who prohibited the veneration of images in 718, and this was contested by Pope Gregory II, and it was finally settled in 843 and invocavit sunday is the in the east it's actually the feast of orthodoxy in commemoration of the 7th ecumenical council of 783 which i was actually i was actually asked about uh when i was being when i had my doctrinal interview as a pastor so vicar make sure you know your councils yes know your councils you got to know your councils if you don't you won't be a pastor
2: so is yeah. that the seventh economic? Econo- I can't say that word. Ecumenical. Is that was that the seventh economical creed of <laughs> uh, uh, Council of seven eighty three? Was there was there six others that year, or no, is that there just was... the seventh one? And also, it happened in seven eighty
3: three. So the first ecumenical council would have been Nicaea in three twenty five, and this is where we get the Nicene Creed. Uh, then we have like the uh, Council of Ephesus and the chalcedonian council uh where we get the chalcedonian idea that jesus is one person in two natures and uh this would be nicaea two so the seventh ecumenical council is nicaea two which dealt with questions on images is it lawful to have them is it lawful to not have them so obviously it gets like and of course the east is kind of weird on this so you know
2: Sure. Right,
3: anyway. And that brings become...
2: us to, you know, uh, Nicene nice 2, we're actually going to be doing a watch party in a couple weeks uh, of Nicene nice 2. No, I thought it was the Meg 2. The the oh, Meg. yeah, same thing, same thing. <laughs> same, same difference, right?
3: <laughs> oh, okay. So, I've got a real talk that I want to do. Whoa. Real talk. Okay, so, in the Nicene Creed, do not say, and I believe in the holy, Christian, and apostolic church, okay? Because when you say that, you're putting the church, which is a creation and product of the Holy Spirit, on the same level as God the Holy Spirit, God the
2: Son, and God the
3: Father. That's right, we talked about that that a little
2: bit uh, a few weeks ago, I think.
3: So, just say, I believe one holy, Christian, and apostolic church. Take out the in. Please do that, Okay. We don't have unlimited trust in an organization or even in a group of people because, as Luther says, popes and councils can err, okay, mm-hmm. or err, however you want to pronounce it. I don't care. They can screw up, okay. Well, you're so. fired
0: up today, Berg. <laughs> the end. I'm, I All will right. say. I will say this. You tend to put more effort for, for between for your uh, top 12 list than I do for mine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's why they end up taking three or four episodes to finish. (laughs) Number 10.
3: You read in the law, Exodus 20, verse 4, You shall not make yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. There you take your stand. That is your ground. Now let us see. When our adversaries say the meaning of the first commandment is that we should Worship only one God and not have any image, even as it is said immediately following, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Exodus 20 verse five. And when they say that it is the worship of images, which is forbidden and not the making of them, they are shaking our foundation and making it uncertain. And if you reply, the text says you shall not make any images. Then they say, it also says you shall not worship them in the face of such uncertainty. Who would be so bold as to destroy the images so basically what luther's saying is saying here is, don't cherry pick the text, read the whole context, okay He's mm-hmm. like god isn't for isn't forbidding the making of images; he's forbidding the worship of made images
0: the the fear, love, and trust
3: exactly, and this is why like he says here. He actually puts himself in Karlstadt's shoes, okay? Because remember, Karlstadt was like destroying everything, ripping down altars, destroying stained glass windows, destroying statues and all this kind of stuff. And this is a great pastoral move because Luther puts himself and says, look, this is where we stand. This is what we're saying. But our adversaries are saying this. They're saying, yeah, uh, don't make images to worship. We're stopping mm. with "Don't make images."
0: It, that, so it's a great, is, it's that, a great is, way
3: to like, you know. It's like, oh yeah, I'm on your side, but
0: <laughs> I love it. I, I, I think that, that is one thing that that shows, and and it's very helpful to do, is to to recognize not in a a cartoonish way recognize what people's genuine thought process is. And not just to say, oh, they're stupid or they're just rejecting God's word and doing the lazy thing. Right. You know, he's he's explaining that he he, he thought the opponents were doing what they thought were best for the church and commanded by God.
3: Yeah. And that. in fact he actually puts himself in the people he's actually opposing. Right. He's actually placing himself in the enemy's camp who want to destroy images and he's saying oh, well, you know, this is what we believe. But the other side has a point. Like, we shouldn't make images to worship. And so it's interesting because the people he's actually opposing are the people in the sermon that he's placing himself with. And he's standing with them. It's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's trying to win them over. He's trying to say, look, yeah, we shouldn't destroy images because no one is worshiping these. It's just, yeah. it's, it's beautiful. So I have a whole thing on tattoos here. So if you want to hear it, maybe we can yeah. do something else, uh, I, but
0: yeah. Why don't we do the, the, your excursus on tattoos.
3: All right. So this is true. When we talk about tattoos using old Testament passages, like Leviticus 1928, we ought not excessively mourn our dad, like the more excitable people of like the Arabians of the modern day or the ancient Babylonians who sought to make expiation for the dead. On the other hand, we have hope. The same is, too of ta- is true of tattooing. The practice of tattooing prevailed among all nations of antiquity, both among savages and civilized nations. The slave had impressed upon his body the initials of his master, the soldier, those of his general, and the worshiper, the image of his false god. God, through Moses, forbids tattooing for two reasons. First, the external means nothing without the internal. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. We are not slaves, okay? Having a tattoo of a cross means nothing if you don't have faith. Second, tattoos were for slaves. We are not slaves, but sons. Third, if you're going to tattoo anything, tattoo the scriptures to your mind. Ancient tattoos were sometimes created with hot irons. So why not do that to your mind? Burn the scriptures on your mind As an everlasting scar, so that God's word might always be in your mouth. So, you're thinking about getting a tattoo? How about you know, just go memorize the Bible first, then you can do that.
0: Hmm. Do you have how many tattoos (laughs) do you have, (laughs) Vicker? I
3: have exactly zero. (laughs) Number nine. But let us go further. They say, did not Noah, Abraham, Jacob build altars? Genesis 8.20, Genesis 12.7, Genesis 13.4, Genesis 13.18, Genesis 33.20. And who will deny that? We must admit it. So I don't have any information about Karlstadt and his hatred of altars because it must have been a deal. But here are some of the objections to altars and the like from English Puritans, ones who we might have encountered, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what they would say. Down with them, tear them down to the very ground. They have been abused with idolatry. Psalm 137, verse 7. Places where idols have been worshipped are by the law of God doomed to utter destruction. Deuteronomy 12, 12. 12 2. To apply this law, the kings who were godly like Asa, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and Josiah destroyed all the high altars and groves that had been erected in Judah and Israel. He who said, Thou shalt have no other gods before my face also said, Thou shalt utterly deface and destroy all those synagogues and other places where such idols have been worshipped. This law contains the earthly punishment which God has laid down and commands men to apply whenever this heavenly law is broken. Those who spare the offenders only allow, like the hypocrite Saul, detestable things to be done. So that's how English Puritans would argue to destroy altars, right? Because... Uh, let's be honest. Like the mass was an abomination; it was idolatry. They thought they could pay God off by sacrificing the mass, sacrificing the Son of God to God the Father, uh, for the living and the dead. Ex opere operato, by the mere performance. So, do you the
0: think act. it came back to the 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 statement that no no pastor Lutheran pastors ever heard before is that? Well, that's that that the altar thing is too Catholic. <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, this is really the issue, right? I'm, and this is why so many people reject it, right? Yeah, they will say things like, you know, um, altars show transubstantiation or sacrificing Jesus to God the Father. And we don't believe in sacrifices because Jesus died once for all, right? Yeah,
0: yeah okay? I think, I think the, uh, the, way what, the way they understand altars actually does apply in this way is when you kind of make the sacraments fit your own terms. You're making your own altar. Mm-hmm. When you're forcing God to meet you in ways he has not promised to meet you. When, you, For example, in how you baptize. Oh, it feels more meaningful if you use rose petals instead of water or if you change the name to be Mother, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is that? That's building a false altar. But when, when it's done... Uh, in Christ and the sacraments are done according to his institution because he instituted and he is the one that says what elements to use and what it means and we're not there to change it according to what is more meaningful to us and i think that's when what what the puritans said would apply actually is when you you take these things and you you m- mold them and shape them to fit your own thing
3: Right. They're against idolatry, which is good. But they would say, if it's been idolatry, then it needs to be destroyed. Right.
0: right? Because what what I just said was uh, adultery. It's making a god in your own image. You're making god, a god you want to be say things which you want him to say and do things which you find more meaningful than the word that he has given you. You're making a god in your own image. Adultery. Right.
3: But they would literally rip altars off like... They would take your altar and burn it.
0: Yeah, that's bad.
3: That's albedo, right? To use the s Yolish on that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's what they wanted to do is like, oh, people were worshiping images. Okay, let's tear down all your banners and get rid of your organ because it's not in the Bible. That's what they did, right? Mm-hmm. They broke up every cross. And my answer to that is... Christ did not destroy the temple despite the money changers changing his house of prayer into a marketplace and a den of robbers. Boom, Puritans. Take that. (laughs) Right? I mean, just because something is abused and misused doesn't mean you need to destroy it. And that's exactly what they argued. They argued that this stuff should be pulled down. It should be destroyed. It should be burnt. That's the kind
0: of people we were dealing with. By the way, Peter, Boom Puritans should be the title of the show. Boom Puritans. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we've gotten. F- why don't you want us to keep going, Pete, or we we have an email to talk about too? Um.
2: Yeah, I think. Let's see, we got through nine, so we'll start with eight next episode. Does that work for you, Berg? Or is there something you want to hit Nate?
3: Um. Just a couple more things. Okay. Answer two. Um. Josiah, Hezekiah, and Asa never destroyed the temple. They cleansed it. Answer three from Luther, Noah, Abraham, and Jacob built altars. These altars were used for sacrifice, and there are two kinds of sacrifice. The first is the propitiatory sacrifice to take away sin and guilt. So like, if they did sacrifices, they weren't propitiatory, but they were in the sense that they clung to Christ, who is mm-hmm. the one death for the world. The second kind of sacrifice is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, it is permissible and good for Christians to have an altar where we offer our sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. So, so down with tables, up with altars.
2: The
0: There's end. another title. Boom.
2: <laughs> All right, what's our email? We got an email from the Baron himself. Billigan, you haven't talked much. All
0: right. He says, howdy, partners. I've been meaning to write back to write back in for a while, but I keep forgetting found the content extremely uh, relatable today. I too nearly flopped over in a visit. The advice was very helpful though. Three was suspect. I thought that counting things was a cure for insomnia. Please tell Hannah's husband to ditch the smartphone. It's like smoking. If you made, if you made it this far in life without it, there's no good reason to start. The only difference is that tobacco wasn't invented by the devil to corrupt our minds and souls. On that subject of trading our souls for conveniences, I have noticed that high-speed communication like cable TV and the Internet is extremely unnatural for the end users and has some pretty pretty ill effects. Obviously, we are a long ways from abolishing these sayings on a state or national level, but is it time we reconsidered their use among Christians? We are a long way departed from wham— a reference to uh, side note: uh, Walter A. Meyer, the Lutheran Hour speaker on the uh, on the Lutheran Hour. Hot takes appreciated. Lastly, I'm collecting samples for some more music. If anyone has any requests, now is the time. Keep on keeping on, amigos. The a, the Vicar Corrigan, A.K.A. Baron Albatross.
2: Okay, so we need we need. uh uh, Reverend, uh, Dr. Amolo saying, So Cold Freezy on the coldest beat you can drop. Oh, oh yeah. For sure. Now <laughs> ah. The, the build-up. It's nice cold in my tummy. Drop. Freezing. <laughs>
0: there, there you go. There you go. Uh, Peter, will you be able to get him that sound clip?
2: Uh, if he asks me for it, I can... I, he might be able to figure it out. I'm not sure.
0: Alright. Um... um so the first thing I would say is, uh, um, uh, see, Vicar, you're not alone.
1: That makes me feel so much better.
0: Right? <laughs> right? He found it helpful. Uh, so uh, the other thing is uh, s- smartphone and smoking, interesting application, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Both can be addicting. Mm-hmm.
0: Any opinions on that, Berg?
3: Yeah. So, um, yeah. There's a lot of applications here, so...
0: All right, but I do like the fact that he just kind of goes right along with our discussion. Abolish them, maybe not on the yet on a national <laughs> or state level, but we should abolish these things. While you're listening to a podcast that you got via, I wonder how he listens to it.
1: Hmm. Smartphone, maybe,
0: perhaps <laughs> he knows it's it's it's
2: so bad because of his personal experience. <laughs> I think I don't I think that's a, an overly simplistic way of putting it like can can uh, a smartphone be used for evil? Yes. Can the media cable TV be used for evil? Of course. But it is not in and of itself evil. The example I always come back to when stuff like this happens is uh, the one guy who got the Nobel Prize for inventing dynamite.
0: Nobel. What's his first name? Vicker.
1: Oh, I don't remember. It was way too long since I've learned about this. So, that it was he got,
2: you know, it was a big big deal in the positive sense because of all of the good that you can do with dynamite. Right. There's a
0: clearing roads. There's clearing mining.
2: roads uh mining, yeah. There's plenty that you can do. Well, it turns out they figured out you could also make bombs out of it and well, what do you know? It's now used for two things. But in Ooh. and of itself, boom, (laughs) but in and of itself, dynamite isn't an evil thing. And I think neither is the technology.
3: Yeah. I think we have to use the technology first. We have to know who we are before we can use the technology profitably. And I think that will depend on the person and upon the training that they have received. I think there are people who are incredibly intelligent in using things like the spaced repetition programs uh, to learn languages or to do other sort of things, mm-hmm. the big thing with technology is we have to make sure we don't become enslaved to it. We have to make sure that it doesn't make us lazy. Uh, I mean, I met my wife on the internet,
2: but and like, we have using a son, it responsibly, you know? it gets harder every year, every day, every month. It it it's it becomes more intertwined in our lives and we need to use it in a godly way. Right. And what I
3: will say too, is I just listened to a a podcast episode on generations. Gen Z is very depressed, unfortunately, and that's very sad. Um, And it seems like it happened concomitantly with the rise of internet and the cell phone. And so we can't forget that we need people. Humans are local. We need to talk with Mm -hmm. one another. We we need to engage one another in person. We can't just simply do things online. Uh, I I have a question, Berg. Because I look at what we're doing. We're doing this online now, but this is not what it was when we were in the studio. It's not the same thing. It really isn't.
0: There's a timing issue between you and I. I'm always... (laughs) <laughs> there's that second delay that drives me crazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think this whole discussion also there there might be a parable believe it or not that falls into this the, one like of the one parable the parable the 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 parable that i don't like preaching on <laughs> do you know which one that is uh i think i do it's so easy man
3: the making friends of with unrighteous mammon Dude, this is why I have a podcast. I got my own podcast. I mean,
2: like, I'm not a Luddite.
1: Vicar, can you give us a quick rundown of what that parable is? If I remember correctly, it's the parable of the dishonest manager. Mm -hmm. So he was basically sort of cooking the books, taking a little bit off the side for himself, um, and he got caught and was being fired. And so the manager called everybody in and took uh, an exorbitant portion off their bill uh, sort of to make the... uh, the person whose finances he was managing look really good, like he was this very good charitable person. Um, and so... You,
0: and, and Jesus basically explains, okay, the world is going to be very shrewd at using these things. So guess what we have to do? Be very shrewd. shrewd using these things.
3: This is why I think this is like the easiest parable to preach. Everybody loves watching Catch Me If You Can with Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. Why? Because he's so flippin' good. He is. DiCaprio in that is amazing. Why? Because at 16, he's pretending to be an airline pilot. He's outsmarting the feds. Like, people like this kind of stuff.
2: You know that was a real story, right, Berg?
3: I know it was a real story. That's why people like it.
0: <laughs> actually, the, the, the I've heard that the, he actually, we've been double snookered. And the fact that a lot of that stuff he said he did was also made up.
3: (laughs) Well, he actually did a podcast uh, that I listened to um, because his last name is uh, Abernay. And you can look it up on the uh, Art of Manliness podcast. And he talks about how not to get taken. Because the dude worked for the FBI. Hmm. Like, he figured out ways, like, and he caught people who were breaking the law. So...
0: Hey, Berg, you need to work on more on consuming information a little bit more.
2: <laughs> I do my
3: He's best. Being, it's being
2: sarcastic, to
3: be <laughs> clear. I know. I know. It's, but otherwise, you know, what can I, like, I just bring it all in here. And our listeners get all of the awesomeness. So, I mean, I guess my input here would be just simply um, memorize a lot of poems work on both a pre-literate, a literate, and a post-literate spectrum. Because we want to keep the pre-literate stuff. Because our best works of literature, like the Iliad, the Odyssey, Beowulf, they're all pre-literate stuff. It's stuff that Scald's, you know, memorized, and they would say at feasts over and over again, people knew this stuff by heart. That's what the small catechism is. So we already have that. Like, Luther... In a literate age, actually prepared for a pre-literate age, which is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Because he believes that faith is not just the domain; it does it doesn't just belong to those who can read, which is beautiful. That's a good thing. Yeah, McLuhan would be proud, huh. right? Mm-hmm. And it actually makes you better because it is lyrical. It is beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And we should do that. We should teach our kids stuff. I mean. All the time. Memorization is so important. Uh, But as we engage this pre-literate technology, I would always come back with the question, okay, is this helping or hindering me? I would rather be smarter than the machine than not. That's how I use Google. I can't say that other generations will because they don't know. I grew up in a time when internet was dial-up. What was that like?
0: You, <laughs> I, I was, I was, uh, I had a. If we had time, I was going to look at a, a sermon I wrote for when I was in seminary in homiletics. Yeah, I actually wrote sermons without the internet, vicar.
1: Wow, that I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I, we need to wrap it up. I can right. only imagine. <laughs>
0: all right, well, Berg can only imagine. We are going to finish and this the up show. Peter's, and this show, yep, Peter's we'll, got to we'll finish, finish editing this so we can go on a little vacay, and uh, and so
3: can we have some outro music
2: for uh, Babylon has fallen. Uh, sure. I'll play the piano version at the end here. Awesome. After after the outro. All right. Good stuff.
0: Thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen.
2: I'm Berg. And I'm Vicker.
3: And may your Puritans be boomed.
0: Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, On Twitter at P for podcast or email us at feedback at org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.